Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I do also believe that humility and curiosity are bi-directional because it's hard to stay arrogant when you are curious because by being curious, you're going to interact and encounter all walks of life and you're going to invariably ask them questions about their profession, their expertise, their knowledge, their experiences. And the more you talk to people, and obviously it's a cliche, right? But all cliches are tropes that the more we know, the less we know. Uh, And I think that recognition and that realization is only possible by being curious, which is demanded by being humble. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we have something special in mind as we're celebrating the second year anniversary of the Discover More podcast. This week, we're going to reflect on the first two years of our journey together with sharing these episodes, recording with a number of incredible guests, and really trying to distill down some of the biggest takeaways that we've had over these past two years. So it's been about a month since Benoit and I have last caught up. Uh, I went to go visit him in early August out in LA. And I know a lot has happened in the past month or so as Ben has started his journey into clinical psychotherapy at USC. And I'm very excited to hop back on the mic in a more conversational setting. And we will be doing our catch up on both life and the podcast journey so far. So with that introduction being said, I'll turn it back to Benoit and you know, love to jump into how's life been for you, both starting school and the past month as a whole. Yeah, thanks, Aiden. So before I answer the question, I just want to reiterate and add some of the intention that we're hoping to achieve from this episode is that I'm sure some of the people could relate to this is when you combine such a important professional commitments like our Discover More LLC, like our Discover More podcast, and also intermingle that with our friendship since um, you are one of my closest friends and we have were able to build and cultivate this very unique friendship that encompasses social, professional, interpersonal relationships all into one. So that we always find ourselves anytime we catch up on a weekly basis or during our brainstorm sessions, a lot of the content and context are specific to podcasts because it requires a lot of work and a lot of intention and a lot of time and resources. So we've always, or I always felt that some of our humanistic conversations or scope have been limited due to all the factors I just mentioned. So it is my hope and our hope that we can have this conversation through a more humanistic and human elements rather than just professional podcasters. Um, But yeah, uh, I'm very excited for this conversation. And yeah, it's wild, man. It's crazy that a month has already passed since you visited in LA from Philadelphia and how fast time is moving. And another crazy thing is two years 
literally flew by and like time is always fleeing at such a rapid rate and of course that's a very cliche thing to say but as we were preparing for this reflection to be released and also we are preparing obviously for the release of our two-year celebration collage or the highlights of the episodes that we really loved from our past two years it directly and inevitably brought both of us into a memory lane into truly view and review every single guest that we've had on this show and all the takeaways and all the highlights from this show and all the processes but most importantly how far we've come individually as humans but also collectively as co-hosts of this amazing platform and podcast that we were able to bring together to light. But yeah, school has been amazing. And I know this may sound weird and unrelatable to many people. I haven't been this excited or happy in a long time, especially with my last previous reflection episodes about grappling the relationship between productivity and idleness and worthiness and uselessness in terms of you know, that's specific to how productive I'm feeling. Whereas the end of week one, I just completed my first week of my grad school program of social work within the specialty of clinical psychotherapy with a future aspiration into going to psychedelic assisted therapy, such as ketamine, MDMA, psilocybin, and everything in between. Uh, it's while I read about 400 pages in a week already for my first week of classes, I already completed a writing assignment. But although I'm physically tired since I have to re-acclimate into the workload since I haven't been working in a while, but I didn't find myself fatigued because I'm truly enthused and excited by the prospect and the readings I'm reading. And this amazing feeling, this blissful feeling that when you finally align what you love and being able to dive fully into that field through this very hyper-intentional lane of grad school or whatever other vehicles there may be, it's exhilarating and every readings interact with each other and they're all integrative and they're directly complementing my life experience and vice versa so i'm very excited and it's yeah my enthusiasm can be shown i I wake up in the morning again to work out and go to my 8 a.m classes since most of my classes are 8 a.m but i could visibly and noticeably feel through the mind heart scan right mind body scan like mentally i'm intellectually stimulated but physically i feel very fulfilled and excited Um, So yeah, it's been a very fast week, but a lot of things have happened this week that I'm very grateful for to have the privilege to do a career pivot, but more importantly to identify a field that I truly resonate with. And that's something my girlfriend Becky and I, we just talked about last night when we're having our sushi dinner, is that how incredible privilege it is for us to be born with intellectual hardware that's given by genetics but also able to find through a nurturing aspect to identify a field that we truly are aligned with and are passionate about. Because a lot of time, like our friend um, who wanted to be a doctor, but he just couldn't uh, go through the rigor of medical school and because it's extremely difficult. Whereas for Becky, she wanted to be a doctor and she was able to be a doctor because of the genetical and you know nurturing factors. So I think you and I, Aiden, were both incredibly lucky in that aspect that we are able to truly do what we love whether it's podcast professionally through the both nature and nurture aspects and I'm, i feel incredibly blessed and grateful likewise man yeah thanks for sharing i think gratitude's been a big feeling that's been coming up this past month or so i think not just as the podcast reaches that two-year milestone but really a lot of other elements of life start to be tying together in ways that i wasn't exactly ever expecting um i think 
gratitude's been on the front of mind, both from the circumstance and to what you said, kind of the privilege around being in this position at this point in life, but then also gratitude to all of the amazing people that we've crossed paths with, largely in part through this podcast. I mean, just thinking back to where our lives were in September of 2019, whether that's from a health perspective, a happiness perspective, or even a relational perspective of who was in our social circles, how deep the relationships we had with those people, uh, it's really night and day compared to where I feel that we are at this point in time. I listened back to the first episode that we ever did, the episode one passion project, and it is astounding to hear and see how much we've grown, both from an articulation standpoint and even just a general happiness or well-being vibe. I think we were really just figuring it out, but I think that point of no return really started this journey and really start building that snowball of meeting new guests, learning from those people, uh, and trying to solidify some of those lessons into our respective lives. And I think with that said, I really want to kind of dive into a question for you in how the podcast has contributed to this pivot that you've just gone through, right? I mean, I'm just thinking back to the Benoit that I first met on a flat bench in South Philly Sweat Fitness. And let me tell you, it is very different than the Benoit that I'm sitting across from right now. So I'm sure that the podcast has played into that a little bit. I'm sure a lot of other situations, scenarios that we've gone through these past two years, but really, I think it would be fascinating to kind of zoom in a little bit on some of the takeaways that you've had for the podcast and how that's encouraged or inspired you to take these new steps into clinical psychotherapy? Yeah, great question, which is kind of meta because, you know, when I first came to you uh, to invite you to, you know, co-create this vision, I remember our very preliminary delegated role was for you to be the interviewer and for me to be the content producer. And I think this is a reaffirmation of your ability to ask insightful questions. But yeah, I mean, definitely a lot has changed in two years. And I don't want to say that the podcast has catalyzed my pivot into clinical psychotherapy, because obviously our lives experiences are all encompassing and you can't identify a specific qualifier or experience that contributes to my pivot. Um, but I just also want to just start with paying homage to you is that you were the first person Maybe not the first person, but you were the first person that I identify very strongly to a point that I respected to a degree that I was very receptive to whatever feedback or advices that you had for me. Because I remember a lot of people told me about the benefits of meditation and encouraged me to meditate. But I always thought to myself, nah, my overthinking and scatterbrain is my competitive advantage. And this is very related to your question because without you introducing meditation into my life, you know, we don't know what we don't know, but to the best of my speculation, I highly doubt that I was able to isolate my desire to create a podcast with you from my incessant scatterbrain thoughts, right? Because you need to be able to identify a thought and reel it in. So in that sense, meditation practice directly catalyzed the podcast or the birth of our podcast. Um, and secondly, how it contributed to my pivot is that I realize there's so much out there that we don't know that's expressed through nuances of our experiences. 
And people like me who've been reading personal help junkies starting from Secret when I was 13 or 14, obviously a lot of the ideas from the book Secret is outdated, but at the time it was pioneering information and knowledge. Until, you know, Tony Robbins, until, you know, Gary Vee, Tim Ferriss, you know, the name goes on and on and on. I realized, oh, I know about life. I know about human behaviors. Such a naivete, right? Like I don't know. And I think it was the podcast to the space we cultivated together by having all these wide array of insanely talented guests coming from a wide array of walks of experiences from a range of ethnicities, culture, age, profession, that taught me and instilled the importance of humility is that we fucking don't know. I don't know anything. I was 26 two years ago. What do I know? I thought I did, but I didn't. Um, so I think that's the first thing foremost, because although you and I, we both agree and subscribe to the power of curiosity mindset, I think curiosity is not possible without humility. I think humility is what is required to prompt uh, curiosity. So um, in that sense, I think my biggest takeaways from the podcast is that humility, we really don't know. And the only way of knowing is by continuing talking to more people expanding your horizon of understanding and exposures and content and knowledge and experiences. And secondly, it is that we don't know what we don't know. What I mean by that is, and I'd love to turn the mic to you after this to talk about your experiences where both you and I, we know about everything about one another when I lived in Philadelphia, like literally everything. I don't think there's anything that you didn't know about me and vice versa. So it was very evident through numerous episodes that we almost canceled due to the, you know, very sad and unfortunate and difficult life circumstances that were unfolding at the time of the recordings. You and I, we had numerous conversations about should we cancel and postpone and reschedule the episode and prioritize self-care. Of course, self-care is always a precedent. It always the most important that we forgot how powerful the podcast space can be to induce self-care for both of us. Uh, Because... Jack comes to my mind and Jacqueline, two amazing guests who contributed immensely to the show. When I was doing those recordings and interviews, I was in a very volatile state, mentally and emotionally speaking. But after the episode, it was virtually a pseudo therapy session for myself. And it was that recording session for three hours on a Saturday enabled me to empower through and then do more self-care by seeing a therapist or meditations or cold showers or exercises. So there are so many things that are seemingly unrelated, but they are. And the only way to learn about those interconnectivity of the world and our human experiences is by conversing, is by dissecting and picking out the nuances of our human experiences and discovery process, which is the ethos of the Discover More podcast. Yeah, I love the two points that you brought up, I think are both really important to highlight. Uh, First and foremost, your latter point around self-care being adding things in i think that was a big realization that i took away both from the tangible podcast itself and then even with conversations with our many guests over the years Um, and the idea that comes up there is that it's equally important to include the things that you love than to avoid the things that you hate i think a big definition of self-care right now is kind of wiping the schedules clean and really like going inward, taking care of yourself or, you know, watching Netflix, eating a good meal. Just there's a lot of, I guess, rest 
elements of self-care, which is certainly important, but sometimes doing those things that light you up, which require a lot of energy. So in our case that we're talking through now, doing a podcast interview, or sometimes it's a challenging workout or whatever the energy expenditure is, sometimes that's a crucial part of self-care that I feel like in my experience hadn't been talked about or discussed enough. So that was a huge takeaway that I'd like to encourage people to think about is self-care doesn't always need to be, you know, rest and digest. Self-care can also be exerting yourself in a way that really lights you up. And I think happiness is generally the emotion that sits on the other side of that application. And then I really want to double click on the idea of curiosity and humility being tied together and the idea that humility is a prerequisite for curiosity because I think that's such an important point to drive home and really realizing that has reshaped my whole relationship to both curiosity and humility. If we're operating from a place of curiosity, that means we're accepting that other people have something to say. There's like a respect built into curiosity and a respect that values the other person's opinion, experience, and perspectives around everything. And I think it could almost become a practice of practicing humility through curiosity is one in which that I've thought deeply about of kind of perpetually trying to practice humility by being curious about whether it's a person's opinion or what a situation holds, but really life becomes more fun when you're curious. And that's something that has been the biggest takeaway for me over the past two years is just how much more enjoyable a curious life is. Um, Even a walk down the street, you know, can be boring if we're just focusing on the walk, but really being curious about what's going on around us, how it feels for our feet to hit the ground or how the weather feels on our skin. Like, I think there's so much in the world to be curious about that embracing that practicing humility through that curiosity has really landed for me as one of my biggest takeaways of the podcast. And one of the things that I've encouraged listeners to think about is how can we become more humble through practicing curiosity on the day to day? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I do also believe that humility and curiosity are bi-directional because it's hard to stay arrogant when you are curious because by being curious you're going to interact and encounter all walks of life and you're going to invariably ask them questions about their profession their expertise their knowledge their experiences and the more you talk to people and obviously it's a cliche right but all cliches are tropes that the more we know the less we know Uh, and i think that recognition and that realization is only possible by being curious which is demanded by being humble. Um, But yeah, so Aiden, in terms of self-care, I think you were able to define it really well. And obviously everyone and we understands the importance of, or the necessity of placing self-care as a non-negotiable, the first pillar before you do anything else, because that is the only way to be proactive against burnouts. And of course the underlying ethos to self-care is self-love, right? And I know self-love for you is definitely a huge pillar and that is a reason why you are the person that you are today through the evolutions of our journey together for the past two years so i would love to ask you about like not just the podcast but whether it's podcast life your interpersonal experiences but how does the concept of self-love speak to you 
A big question, certainly. Um, I think that's been a centerpiece of my personal journey the past few years specifically, almost coincidentally led by the podcast. For me, a big resistance or barrier to self-love was my trust in the ability to show up in high pressure situations. And I think the podcast has been a bit of a masterclass in doing so. So like you alluded to earlier, sometimes like some pretty tragic stuff would happen right before we'd go on to a show. I mean, the instance that I got scammed, that was a Thursday afternoon, lost $20,000, my entire net worth. And we had a s interview scheduled for that Saturday with one of my closest friends. And as much as I wanted to take the day off to just kind of reset, get back on pace, really stepping up to the plate and almost leaning into that purpose or passion was huge for me. And I think the ability to do so, to continue to show up really started, started a sense of self-trust. And I think from trust, love can also come into the picture. And it's really been an ongoing repetition process uh, for the past few years. As I listened to our first episode that we recorded in the summer of 2019, I really realized how little self-love I had at the time. A, I wasn't exposed to just the importance of it, or really I hadn't heard it talked about whatsoever, but really in just the way I was speaking about myself, my workout habits, I realized how absent that concept of self-love had been. And I'd really like to share a bit of a turning point that I've had on the self-care journey or self-love journey rather. Today is Saturday, August 28th. So this was just a few days ago on Wednesday. Uh, anyone lives, that lives on the East Coast knows that we've been getting smoked with a heat wave. It was 97 degrees and humidity to who knows where. But I went outside for a run at noon. I usually run at five or six in the morning, so I didn't really recognize how hot it would be. As soon as I stepped out, it was a complete oven. And went on my merry way, started my run, was doing five miles, two and a half down the Schuylkill River Trail and two and a half back. And when I got to the halfway point where I was starting to turn around, I just had this huge intuitive whisper around just run home with your shirt off. And that was something that I had never done ever in my entire life, much less on the Schuylkill River Trail. But having my shirt off in public was something that plagued me for as long as I can remember. Like I would go to the beach with my family, keep my shirt on, you know, to not get sunburned. But in reality, I was fearful of showing, you know, my body off in public. And then even in high school and middle school, a large reason why I chose to be a goalkeeper was to not risk being on the skins team or to not have that potential of having my shirt off in public. So having this, decision to run home, not just, you know, in public, but on one of the most popular trails in Philly was a huge kind of body positivity turning point of just feeling really secure in who I am as a person and how my body looks to other people. And it wasn't from a place of ego of like, Hey, everybody look at me. I have my shirt off, but like a body positivity sense of like, I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm going to run home because it's 97 degrees out and it feels like an oven. But I didn't let that, you know, resistance or that lack of self-love hinder me from, you know, running in the way that felt best at the time. So I think 
that was a really big turning point that kind of, I guess, symbolized a lot of the process and work that I've been through the past two years. The podcast had been a big point of that. Uh, a resource slash book that I'd recommend for anyone interested in this whole self-love conversation is How to Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. In the book, he encourages readers to continuously ask the question, in this moment, what would I do if I truly and fully loved myself? Orienting my life around that question over the past six months has been pretty transformational because that gut reaction always tells you the thing that's true, or at least in my experience, that's what I've seen. So the book is a really profound and easy read. I think it's only like 100 pages and completely changed the way I relate to myself and the concept of self-love. So if anyone's curious or interested around some of these ideas or processes, uh, I think that would be a really great starting point. Obviously, self-love is important, um, but I want to zoom in on what you mentioned, the relationship between trust and love. It's very interesting, right? Because I think the relationship between trust and love transcends just the self aspect. Even let's talk about relationally, the most common relationship that people think about is romantic relationship. Without that trust, you will never share your commitment with that other person. Without that trust, you will never share the word or you know whisper the word, I love you to the other person. So in a sense, I do think that trust is one of the foundational pillars to create love or to hold a space for love. Because if you don't trust the other individual, in our case, if we don't trust ourselves, how can we possibly love ourselves? I don't think we can. Um, and I think that's the idea of without self-love, you cannot love others. And once again, Wes Wilson's our former guest, TED speaker, a recent published author, he talks about if you don't spend time with yourselves, how can you possibly love yourself? Um, so I do think that's extremely fascinating and I've never made that connection until now after hearing your story that you're right. I do think that the first step to before cultivating self-love because there's so many wannabe gurus and so many wannabe life coaches out there nowadays that, oh yeah, self-love, all these delusional naivete, positivity that doesn't consider the context or the specific influences. It's very problematic because that's naivete, right? Uh, but then the real question is, how can we cultivate self-love through cultivating the trust first? Like, how can we trust ourselves? And I think that requires showing up. I think that requires showing up to the challenges, right? Not just necessarily in a stoic sense, but do I trust myself when life is hard? Do I trust myself that I could show up to the plate, whatever the plate may be, whether it's professional plates or a life plate? Um, but to me, it sounds like you were able to continue to show up, not just through this podcast, uh, because I've seen how you show up in life, through your work, through numerous tragedies that you and I, we both have encountered in our respective lives in the past two years. And yeah, the, I think the, another takeaway from both of us, but also for me, is the level of resilience that we're truly capable of, that we didn't think we were. Like I said, anytime we had these conversations about do we want to postpone interview or cancel it, aside from the logistical nightmare of since we do everything like a few months ahead of the release schedule, aside from that, until we showed up, I didn't think we could. For me, I definitely didn't think I could. But I did, right? Like when I lost my three friends to suicide uh, over the pandemic, uh, I forgot who we interviewed with, 
might have been Jacqueline, I think, if I recall correctly, or when I had the biggest near breakup fight with my girlfriend. Uh, I didn't think I could show up to these conversations, but I did. And when I did, I realized, wow, we really don't know and we really can't grasp the limits of our capacity, whether it's emotional capacity, mental capacity, anything in between until we do it. So um, I don't want to share that in like a very stoic sense because I, I, do, I do know that stoic philosophy does get a bad rap in some circles. But I'm just saying from a point of like sometimes it does require some pressure or some situations or containers for us to show up the way we didn't think we could, but we did. So I do think that's extremely profound that like we really like humans are amazing and I think that's what enabled me to gain more incremental respect for you, right? I, of course, respect you in the first place when we met five in the morning in a random South Philly gym because I knew people who work out five in the morning. There's something deeper inside than just trying to lose weight. Uh, but then it was very surface level because a lot of military people have that work ethics. But then through our course of two years journey through this all-encompassing project of Discover More about life, I really learns about who you are your capacity and i think my respect or my continuous increments of respect was stemmed from the fact that seeing and witnessing how you show up as my partner as my co-host and as this you know visionary for the brand that we created together which obviously we're very very proud of so yeah thanks for the kind words man feeling is certainly mutual i think he's introduced a lot of interesting ideas there the first being the resilience element that really came up for me in our interview with Matthias. That was one of the first interviews that we ever done. But when he introduced us to the ideas of Everesting a hill. So for concept, it's taking one hill and biking up and down it until you reach the cumulative elevation of Mount Everest. And when he told us that story, my jaw was just on the ground. Just how is the human body capable of biking for 10, 10 hours or so. I forget what the exact time that he was, but it was a good portion of a day of just biking directly uphill. And that was so contrary to any experience or possibility that I had ever conceptualized. So I think that one really speaks to the potential of the human body, the human spirit, and just kind of continuing to push. So a lot of these ideas and lessons that we're talking about are all almost direct takeaways from some perspective of many of the interviews that we've done and then i really wanted to circle back on that idea of trust and love because two really important things came up for me and the first well one is with each one is with the self and one is with within others uh, the first one i'll talk about within the self because it reminded me of a book how to do the work by dr nicole lapera mm -hmm. and her whole idea is that a lot of like mental health chronic disease is driven by our inability to keep our words from ourselves and i think that ties in with confidence and low or high confidence and the whole idea is that confidence is born from just keeping your word from yourself over and over again both confidence and health and she tells this profound story of this lady whose her life was pretty much falling apart she had chronic ms she wasn't happy. She was going to therapy three times a week. And the homework that she got the one week was drinking a cup of water first thing every single morning. And that was the one piece of advice or one piece of homework that Nicole or Dr. Nicole gave her patient. 
she said this compounded over first six weeks, then six months, then six years turned into a practice of keeping her word to herself of each morning, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to drink water. No ifs, end or buts about it, but really that practice of continuing to keep her word to herself then snowballed. So from drinking a cup of water, then it turned into yoga every morning. Then it turned to quitting a job that she disliked and finding a partner that she was in love with. But really those things snowballing from one to another, it's that keeping words to your, ourselves then creates that self-trust, which then snowballs into that self-love. Um, so that's just an aside for a book that I think really speaks to that idea and one that I think is a practical takeaway of if listeners out there aren't feeling confident or aren't feeling like they're able to make momentum towards the things that they're trying to accomplish, sometimes it's really just keeping your word to yourself over and over again in the smallest ways of, hey, I'm gonna take a cold shower this morning or drink a cup of tea rather than a cup of coffee or just like whatever thing you're trying to accomplish, actually doing that thing is a profound, profound approach. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about the concept too long since we've talked about neuropathways perpetually on this show. But like on a neuroscientific level, once again, it's impossible to do things for the first time without cultivated neuropathways built into it, uh, which is the foundation for any habit building. The other thing that I thought about is I think what you just shared in terms of confidence is related to trust and of course i do want to specify that we are sourcing from these experts but we are not neuroscientists or mental health or psychiatrists ourselves so none of these are medical advices i think your take away from how to do the work is also bi-directional in a sense that your first step can be the hardest step of everything to come or also the easiest step of everything to come and i think they're all very interrelated because by making a first step, once you go over the fear or the barrier or the self-perceived impossibility of taking that first step, once you do that, it becomes easy. But at the same time, if it is the easiest first step for you, that's also going to create a momentum for whatever you want to accomplish to come. So I, I do relate and I do agree that trust and confidence and self-love are very interconnected. And I think that speaks to the fact that and the ethos we're trying to talk about is everything and the nuances of everything is truly interconnected even if you don't think they are and the only way to discover such nuances is conversations uh, we've been talking about the podcast and we've been talking about some of the highlights and obviously all the guests were able to share such amazing wisdom and we were able to take away a lot but i just want to soften the tone and be a little bit more casual for a second is I do remember you and I, we always talk about how lucky we got, right? In terms of intentionally creating a, a platform just to very innocently at the time and maybe in a very self-serving way just to retain or capture some of our conversations on a public catalog. That was it. That was a very pure and innocent intention when we came up with this podcast. But obviously it has evolved to something way more. And in a way, we always joke about we found a way to cultivate a free mastermind course for both of us every single month. And in another sense, since I'm in grad school now, it's almost like a pseudo grad school program that enables us to literally talk to experts of all different fields, which is insane to me that we have this opportunity of a lifetime for us to continuously cultivate not just relationships with ourselves and with the guests, 
but to cultivate toolkit and a toolbox to keep learning and keep expanding our knowledge. Like how the fuck did that happen? I don't know. But it's seriously, I think this is the reason why we started this episode, this amazing two-year milestone episode with gratitude. Because I cannot think about any other primary emotion that's more applicable to how I'm feeling than gratitude. But once again, none of these will be possible without all that. But but yeah, with that being said, um, like I said, I, I just want to shift from the podcast-specific reflections to life reflections since the what i just shared is about the interconnectivity between things are seemingly irrelevant or disconnected like what are some lessons or what are some takeaways for you aiden for the past two years you never thought would connect it to your life would be directly related to your life but it did in a very intangible the seemingly irrelevant way so big question there for sure but i'll do my best to kind of talk through a little bit let's just rewind a little bit to two years ago because i think illustrating a starting place might be helpful uh just to be blunt there was so much doubt in my life at that period of time whether it's doubt over career doubt over relationships self-doubt over pursuing the things that i cared about just doubt seemed to be an unconscious feeling that was in my life at all periods of time. And I think over the past two years, that has really transformed into a feeling of faith of just, I don't know what's on the other side, but like I have faith it'll be fine or faith it'll work out well. Um, That's certainly a long process of continuous work, both psychologically and externally, whether it's with conversations or practices such as journaling or meditation, whatever the avenue is, but really transforming that self-doubt into a place of faith has really only been possible through these conversations with all of the guests that we've had so far. They've really showed that everything is a spectrum, right? There's always nuance to different ideas. Every time I feel that I'm comfortable over a specific topic or know a lot about a specific idea, then we get introduced to a guest that introduces it in an entirely new way, right? Like when we talk to Natalie Brown, for example, I thought I had a pretty good feel on what intuition was, how it was applicable to our lives, how to best lean into it. But some of the stories that she told were just absolutely eye-opening in terms of trusting your gut, following intuition, creating things out of nothing, just from that energetic, spiritual, intuitive lens. Um, So time after time, I've just been surprised at how much of life is in fact a spectrum. And I think this ties back to that whole idea of faith, because this happened in a conversation two days ago with uh, one of my aunts, and she completely reframed the way that I see faith, uh, which to me was a big, big takeaway is that, you know, like I just articulated, I always related to having faith in a larger picture, right? So not necessarily in a religious context or a spirituality context, but just like that underlying faith or hope that things are going to work out okay in the long term. I've been thinking about since she said it, I'm so grateful for her introducing me to this idea, is that it's not necessarily having faith that things will work out, but it's the acceptance that I will accept things as they are when they come my way. And that, to me, I just had to sit in for a little while. Coming back to Andrea's episode, just really sitting in, whether it's a positive experience, a negative experience, an idea that resonates, an idea that doesn't resonate, but like sitting in it, thinking about why it makes you feel the way that it does, 
uh, feeling into the emotions that that either concept experience or person brings up. But this transfer of faith into just unconditional acceptance was really, really profound for me and kind of reshaped uh, the way that I'm going to continue moving forward. It's not having faith that something's going to change and then something's going to be better, but rather unconditionally accepting that I'm going to accept whatever comes my way down the road. Damn. Of course, this is a audio-only platform, but I just wanted to visually describe. This is kind of comedic, but I also mean it that right behind Aiden, there is all these records. And I see a, an album of Beatles, and I see all four Beatles members looking at Aiden as Aiden's sharing the story in a signs of approval. It's like they were proud of you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, jokes aside, um, yeah, that, first of all, shout outs to all the ends out there. They are the embodiments of a lot of amazing knowledge and experiences, first thing and foremost. And secondly, yeah, that resonates me a lot. And I definitely never heard anyone describe faith as such, since I also, too, relate to faith in a more religious and spiritual context of hoping for the best and retaining of hope. But it's almost like the separations of not accepting or hoping for the potentiality, but acceptance of actuality. Right, because according to Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, what makes humans truly unique is our ability to concurrently grapple with actuality and potentiality. No other species on this entire galaxy does that to the best of our knowledge, but we do. But because of that, it's hard for us to be mindful. It's hard for us to be instinctive because we're always grappling between the timeline of what we are versus what we ought to be. So yeah, that's, and I think your end's advice of grounding that pillar of faith towards the actuality because potentiality is rooted from actuality and they're very interconnected right um yeah it's definitely something i'll be thinking about after this recording as well is having faith uh, in a bigger picture but at the same time also having faith in our ability to embrace the storm when the storm comes not necessary to avoid the storm but embracing it and i also want to share a prayer that i always do every single time i meditate since I end every single morning meditation session with a prayer, um, is that I always pray since my religion is Christian and identify myself through my faith and uh, spiritual lens through Christianity in terms of that I don't pray for good circumstances. I don't pray for nothing bad happens. I pray for the courage and the faith in God that he could utilize the ordeal or the storm of life to deepen my trust and strengthen my faith. That's what I've been praying every single day for the past two months, I would say. Uh, and I have effectively felt visible difference in my vibrations and how I treat every single thing that come to my way. Like for example, uh, my clinical field placement begins on Monday, August 30th, two days from today. I'm still without a placement. I'm the only student based on our sharings in my class this week I'm the only person that doesn't have a placement yet. Of course, it's anxiety producing since we have to do 16 clinical hours every single week in addition to our rigorous academic work. And we have to fulfill a minimum 210 hours for the semester, a minimum to pass. I don't have a placement. What that means is I'm not going to be able to start accumulating hours until a few weeks behind everyone else's. And there's uh, numerous reasons why I'm still out of placement. I'm a little bit more experienced than some of my peers. So I rejected my first placement offer. And I've been interviewing more clinically focused placements that's only reserved for final year students. 
So at one hand, I'm proud of self-efficacy because I need to advocate for myself to contextualize who I am, my backdrops to the professors so that I could get placed into a placement that's m- most optimally aligned to my interest and also to my skill sets. Because that's how, because placement or clinical work has to be mutually beneficial as a student, not as a clinician, of course. But the other hand, I generally don't feel ants. I don't feel anxiety at all. And this is, I'm being very, very honest with myself that I'm not just saying this for the podcast. I feel good. And that realization blew my mind because as you know, Aiden, the reason why my major depression erupted in 2017 through my deployment, it wasn't the actual deployment that erupted my major depression and my diagnosis. It was the anticipation of the looming deployment that gave me so much anxiety, right? It's like the stoic philosophy of never borrow on happiness from the future. You're gonna experience the struggle anyway, so why experience the struggle twice? It's hard. These are the things that everybody knows, but so hard to practice, and I call it the KPG. I made that up. It's the knowledge practice gap, KPG. And then, but through this incident, of course, it's a more microism, lesser severe extent than my deployment in 2017, but I'm still without a placement it affects my academic standing with the school. But I'm not nervous because I have faith and a trust that the process will work itself out. Why? Like you said, Aiden, because of the past pattern, because everything has always worked out for me and I'm very grateful for that. So I know as long as I'm only dealing with my commitments, I'm being diligent, I'm continuing advocating for myself, then the rest is not up to me. It's up to God or the cosmos, whatever you want to call it. Um, so do that, although I'm not entirely happy to the fact that clinical hours officially start on Monday, but I'm I have my interview on Monday. That means it's going to take me another week to go through the logistics process, but I'm generally not nervous. I'm confident and I have leaned into the surrender, which is I never thought would come out of my mouth, but I think I've said the surrender more often than anything else in the past few months. So. Yeah, that's a powerful story, and I appreciate the mindset that you've been employing behind this whole decision. You know, it's clearly a unknown and, to me, sounds like anxiety-provoking situation, but it's clear that the way that you're relating to it is, you know, healthy and gives me no doubt that it'll work out in the long term as well. And I think idea that you brought up that I'd like to kind of pivot back towards or dive into a little more is self-advocacy. Because to me, self-advocacy is sometimes one of the most difficult things to do, right? It's one thing to advocate for a person that you care about or a mission that you believe in. But sometimes for whatever reason, advocating for ourselves is often a difficulty. Um, I know that's certainly true for myself and I have seen that across the board and a lot of friends and family members as well. So when thinking about the concept of self-advocacy, either in your own experience or what you're beginning to learn about in a clinical setting, is there anything that you keep in mind, right? So to me, the obvious things that jump out are like balancing humility and self-benefit of like making sure that we're going about it in a grounded way, but also a self-interested way. Obviously there's a lot there in terms of potential ways to bring this answer but really when it comes to self-advocacy how have you personally related to it and even how would you recommend other people to think about it in their own lives if they're trying to become more empowered to advocate for themselves yeah so just to share something i just learned from this week is that social work as a overarching discipline 
is actually one of the only few volume-based profession in the entire world, but specific to the United States context. So what, what that means volume-based profession. So if you look at our code of ethics, National Association of Social Work code of ethics, it is extremely lengthy. And a lot of those ethics, and it's not just about professionalism, it's not just about competence. A lot of it's very ethic volume-based, like social justice, like service, uh, integrity, all these things a lot of professions don't have. So what that means is the reason why social workers are among the most prevalent in terms of the burnout rate, social work tops that category with uh, physicians and other medical professionals time and time again. That's because all these individual and collective professions prioritize the efficacy of others above ourselves. That's why we are in a helping professions, whether you're physicians, nurse, therapists, social workers, etc. But the hidden cost of that is when we're advocating for others 24-7, we physically don't have the mental capacity or the resource or time to advocate for ourselves. Right? It's almost like the hierarchy that Nick Boleto first introduced to us years ago about the hierarchy has to be self, God, others. Because by doing that, things truly work out. And obviously it's a cliche term in terms of you cannot pour from an empty cup. But the point is, the reason why I understand the necessity and the reason why for me, self-advocacy and self-care, they're one and the same, right? When you're self-advocating, you're advocating for your own importance and your own well-being. They're one and the same. So if you can't self-advocate, you cannot self-care. That's how I believe it. I do think they're very interchangeable. This is a disheartening topic for me because as a former program manager in the nonprofit policy sector, I have seen so many people burn out. And these are amazing, passionate people who want to make the world a better place with fairness and equity for the greater good. But they burn out at the process because they care so much. It has to be a prereq. Self-efficacy has to be a prereq for advocacy for others. Because like you and I, Aiden, people like us who are all about personal development, who are all about emotional, mental, social well-beings, we are so good at extending grace and forgiveness and love for other people. It's like, oh, Aiden, you made a mistake. No problem. It's okay. Uh, Life will move on. You will learn from the mistake or it's okay. Take your time, right? Heal from the process. But when we make our mistakes, like fuck Benoit you're freaking useless why did you make that mistake like you're horrible blah 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 all these self-talk right and I realized oh we extend the least amount of grace for ourselves why is that and I think that comes down to self-efficacy and obviously I don't want to give advices to other people because everyone behaves differently according to their own lanes of truth and everyone self-care through differently too but I just want to really really double click and zoom in on the absolute not just the importance the necessity of self-advocacy because once again if you don't advocate for what you want what your vision is and what you need to maximize your well-being how can anyone else help you to do that and everyone has some variations of support system Uh, some population don't which is very sad but for those who do how can your support system support you if you don't tell them what you need Right? We love one another. We all have different skill sets and experiences, but mind reading is the one thing that we don't have and will never have. And so I do think that self-efficacy is a perfect pillar to talk about after we've been talking about self-love. But yeah, self-efficacy is so important, man. And the only reason why I know it's important, 
aside from my extroverted personality trait that's given to me by birth, is that I have been to the other side through deployment, through numerous other experiences that's traumatic and tragic, is that I have seen what happens when you don't make self-care and self-efficacy as non-negotiables. The other possible consequences is a much dire and a disparate place, and I've been there. So I know not to get there again. I have to be proactive about what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. In a way, self-advocacy is almost like self-expression. And that, to me, leads into that thing that always comes up of the opposite of depression is expression. And I think that ties into the conversation we had with Kitty about the healing element of creativity. Because in a way, all that creativity is is self-expression, just in its most pure and unique form. And I think... To anyone curious around that idea, I highly recommend listening to Kitty's episode. I did about two weeks ago, and it's profound to hear just how much healing and growth can come from a place of creativity and self-expression. A coach that I worked with a few months ago introduced me to the idea of expressing our feelings is equally important to our health as eating well and exercising, right? Like so often health is just looked at from a physical or mental side but this is almost like a layer deeper into like our emotional or like spiritual well-being of are we expressing our emotions talking about how we're feeling and like speaking our truth for the lack of a better term i think there's a lot of stigma attached to that speaking our truth but i think you know i just would encourage people to detach any stigma from it but like Speaking your truth is a powerful thing. And whether that's on the phone with a friend or in the work context with a coworker, I think it's a really powerful thing to be able to really express how you are feeling. And I think that's a big reason why there's so many mental health problems in the world right now is people aren't speaking how they really feel. They're stifling things because like as someone who currently works in corporate america i fully feel this right there's only so many things you can say to your managers or say to your bosses or co-workers like there's a time and place for specific concepts and context but being able to bring your full self to a situation or an environment i think is really beneficial and to me that boils down to that self-expression and ultimately self-advocacy lens that we've been talking about yeah i actually with that being said i would like to ask about your perspective since we're generalizing here since all of us are fluid in terms of our personalities and extroversion and introversions we're always both but on a more general sense i am very extroverted dominant and you're introverted dominant so how would you approach like a message board in terms of enabling your fellow introverts to cultivate or lean into that avenue of self-expression a little bit more than they maybe are typically used to or comfortable with again i mean i'll unpack but i definitely hesitate on giving advice around something that i'm still presently working through um and again your qualifier from before not a mental health professional not a expert in this field whatsoever but just a fellow person trying to figure out this life thing I guess clarity is the first and foremost step of the whole self-advocacy thing, right? You can't advocate for something that you're not clear about. And for me, that's something that I'm trying to get more clarity around a lot of things in my life so that I can go advocate for them, right? You can't tell people what you believe if 
you aren't clear on what you believe from the jump. So I think for me, clarity is almost like the forefront of that advocacy. And then once that clarity is there, really the only next step I can see is courage, right? I think for introverts especially, it's sometimes tough to speak up in a crowded room or put your own agenda above other people's, but really doing those uncomfortable things demands courage, like a courageous action. Big idea that I really like is courageous imperfect action because the perfectionist in me, a lot of times used to stifle action because it wasn't perfect or wasn't exactly how I wanted it to be. But now the person that I'm moving towards is just taking courageous, imperfect action. So even if it might not work out or if there's still uncertainty built into that action, it's still moving forward. It's still trying the thing and doing so courageously. So I think that clarity and then courage process is like the first two big steps. And that gets you like, I'd say 80% of the way there. And then the last piece is the idea of refinement. And that's an idea that I apply to almost everything that I do in my life of just continually refining, figuring out what could be done better, how to take better courageous action the next time around. But really that perpetual refinement process, I think applies in this case of self-advocacy because things change, right? John Chahar brought up this idea that it's a positive thing to continuously change your mind and continue to challenge our beliefs find new ideas, implement new perspectives and ways of thinking into the way that we're showing up. So really that refinement process to me is continually asking questions, figuring out what the new answers are, and then getting new clarity, taking new courageous action, and then looping back around, right? So it's almost like a big circle of clarity, courageous action, refinement, and then that refinement creates new clarity and the whole wheel keeps going. So that in order to continue to adapt with how the world's changing, how you're changing as a person, you need that refinement process. So really clarity, courageous action and refinement is the way that I would relate to both self-advocacy as an introvert, as well as just life in general in the year of 2021. Yeah, nice. Yeah, uh, I know that was a very loaded question, so I appreciate the succinct framework. Yeah, I think that's a, this is a perfect segue about something I wanted to bring it up on the mic. So the important notion that you talked about is vulnerability and courage, right? But I think the underlying tone of that is the idea that courageous action, whether it's imperfect action like you alluded to, or vulnerability, they all manifest differently to different people. Once again, the nuances of it. So I want to share something that uh, I've been thinking since the first time I met you through the progression of our relationship as uh, this close friends we had become, of course, through the evolution of the podcast is that I remember even after your $20,000 scam that you lost your net worth to or before that, uh, when you were uh, being frugal towards some outings or social events, you're not a big drinker anyway, but I remember you were being frugal due to the scam and other things. And obviously other events, series of events also like transpire in between. Also, I remember uh, you even offered to uh, share your personal accounting statement with me to see how meticulous you have been managing your personal finances. Of course, you're an accountant in trade and you work in the finance center now. So I have no doubt in your exceptional ability. But I do remember one category of spending that you never compromised was biometrics such as whoop that you're wearing that uses hrv to measure your recovery rate and optimal performance uh, your coaching you've always had a coach for a long time uh, when you finish one coaching program you take a little break as integrative sessions an integrative period but then you identify a new coach and you start a new coaching program immediately after 
they are expensive. These aren't cheap ventures uh, with coaching or supplements or all these uh, biometrics or health supplements that you adore and you're very passionate about since you have a certificate and nutrition coaching as well. But since those areas don't resonate with me as much as they do resonate with you, at the time, this is in retrospect, right? At the time, I didn't have the metacognitive abilities I do now. So I didn't think twice about my incessant thoughts that emerged. But at the time, I remember telling myself implicitly that, damn, Aiden's saying he's frugal. Aiden's saying he wants to save enough money to wipe out his credit card debt and all these things to me. But he's spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on coaching, health supplements, whoop, all these subscriptions, all these things. I was like, huh, maybe he's not as frugal as I am. These are soft dialogues, right? And once again, these are judgments. These are implicit judgments from me implicitly without even talking to you. And it's not even psychoanalysis per se, but more of speculation that's not rooted in truth, maybe partial truth based on my observation. And then I remember that pattern continued even after your scam. And I was like, wow, this dude needs help. Why is he spending money on all these things when he just got robbed $20,000? Like, who does he think he is? He thinks having a whoop or all these coaching is going to help him with his $20,000 debt. I was like, what is this guy doing? Once again, implicit judgment. And then one day, about like a few months ago, yeah, about two, three months ago, it clicked for me. I was like, holy shit. Aiden is a financial analyst in the finance sector doing all this Excel sheets, all these tasks that he's not really aligned with or he loves. And of course, you've depicted your misery and your dislike for specific profession to me offline all the time, right? But then for your ability holistically as a human being and as a profession that doesn't necessarily resonate with your profession, show up to the way you do consistently, not just one week, not just one month. Of course, stress is there. The way you show up fluctuates just like anyone else does. But on an overall level, I was shocked by how you showed up because thinking back to how accelerating I'm feeling right now and how grateful and awesome I feel, and that's because I'm in an aligned passion that's supported by my intellectual curiosity and rigor, right? So I'm feeding into this amazing space, but you weren't. There was a huge disconnect with your feeding loop, yet you showed up on par, if not better than I have in some uh, situations. And it finally kicked from me. I was like, oh, it's because from the outside, I may disagree, but to you, you chose the most important investment platform for you, which is investment of yourself. And all these things that I couldn't understand and I don't have to understand were a huge serving to you, which enabled you to become the Aiden Wyman that I know now. And the reason why your network adores you, the reason why people love you, truly. And I think that brings back to my lesson from one of my classes this week is that vulnerability and strength look different to anyone. Because we did a quick exercise in class doing uh, truth and dare in my field education class. And the professor asked us to pick out a sheet. This was an icebreaker activity. Take out a sheet from the cup of truth or the cup of dare. And I was the first person to pick out of a dare. And I had to enact out winning a lottery and people had to guess me when I was acting out of. But to me, picking dare isn't uncomfortable. That's just who I am. I mean, picking truth for me is even easier since this is what we do on a weekly basis. But I realized, oh, for some people, because I caught myself metacognitively judging again. I was like, oh, look at all these peers. Look at all these classmates picking truth. Out of 20 people, only three of us picked it there. And I was like, oh, look at all these people picking the safe route, picking the path of least resistance. But then I caught myself, right? Which is what metacognition has to be cultivated is, oh, 
I'm doing the same thing I did with Aiden, is I'm imposing what I think they ought to be or what I think vulnerability or courage should look like. But they don't. They are different for every single person, just like for your example and just like my example in class. But yeah, I wanted to share that on the mic because it was a very profound and very micro realization for me, but is that it's really important, especially as a future clinician in the mental health space, for me to leave my judgments, both implicit and explicit, at the freaking door and leave it out there for as long as I could. Uh, and because if I'm making all these implicit judgments to you, one of my most intimate circles, based on our such frequent interactions, the danger of my imposed judgment is even more prevalent among strangers and future clients. So, Yeah, really powerful example. And I appreciate the affirmation there. I think it's a really important idea to share around because there's so much judgment and projection built into society. I think that's something I try and catch myself doing and still certainly fall into time and time again. But reminds me of the idea of the work by Byron Katie and basically her whole idea is just is this true is like the basic question but you can ask is this true or is it my own projection is it representative of my own experience but really just trying to figure out if that thing is true I think is a really powerful question that ties in with what you just described and I think relating to our you know, personal experience around expenses and spending. I think that ties into the book that we did a Discover More Books around, I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And his whole idea is just like, what does your rich life look like? And to me, I realized my rich life looks like one where I feel good and am able to show up well each and every day. And that's only because I take care of my health and invest in myself. And I think that, you know, looks different to each specific person. It might not serve other people, but I've found through a continuous experimentation process that it works for me. But it's really asking those questions of what is working for me? Is this serving? Is this not serving? Trying to strip away all those judgments like you just alluded to. And I think this leads into an idea that I kind of want to dive into that seems to represent the podcast as a whole. And we've talked about it a lot before, but it's just better questions lead to better answers. And I would even go a step further with that, of that I believe and I'm continuing to believe more and more each day that our lives are simply reflections of the questions that we're willing to ask ourselves and the people in our lives, right? So it's both an internal seeking clarity with asking powerful questions, but then also developing relationships, seeking clarity or new realizations from other people by asking them better questions, right? We've had interviews where we're able to go well, well into the deep, deep with people we've met 30 minutes before the interaction, but just with the ability to ask good questions, listen actively and share, I guess, authentically and vulnerably, but then applying that same idea of, you know, intentional questions, intentional listening that we've learned through the podcast into my everyday life, whether it's with family members or close friends that, you know, you've been friends with them for 10 years, but you've never asked them a deep question or like what motivates them, what, you know, they're trying to accomplish in their time here on earth. I think asking those better questions generally creates more clarity as well as more connection with the people that we're all involved with. So definitely appreciate the question you just brought in and really wanted to highlight that for the people that ask better questions, both of yourself 
of your experience and then most importantly the people in your circle and i think you'll be pleasantly surprised as to what comes out of it yeah absolutely uh very well said and yeah i just want to share another thing that i learned and one of my mindset i guess shifts regarding the la los angeles culture is we talked about this in depth in person and you might have felt it even when you visited for a week is i had a lot of resistance coming to la regarding the culture that's inherited into la and maybe the perception of LA culture by the other states and the world. And of course, our guest, uh, Nweezy, uh, music producer, informed us with his episodes that everyone who comes to LA, they had to go through a series of sacrificial acts, whether it's financial sacrifice, social emotional sacrifices, interpersonal sacrifices with their families, with the support system, in an attempt to achieve their dream. And of course, a lot of people come to LA have the dreams of performance, acting, music, and things are very glamorous. Nothing wrong with that, but that tends to be the case. I'm journalizing here. And then I remember what Enwezi or Enwar told us that really resonated with me is that because he went through tears of depression when he first moved to LA, because everybody here had an agenda. Everybody, when they first meet you, ask you, what do you do? They don't care about your vulnerability past. They don't care about your family ties. They don't care about anything, but what can you do for me? And if I resonate with that, okay, here's what I can offer you. And let's see if we can go from a mutually beneficial relationship on a transactional level to go something deeper and maybe create some friendships down the line. That's not how I approach human relationships. So I resist that a lot uh, because I do believe that relationship could be mutually beneficial uh, because we're all busy. Opportunity cost, you know, everything has an opportunity cost, so nothing wrong with that. But I also started to limit my own judgment regarding that because I realized, like what you alluded to, Aiden, everybody is on this earth a finite amount of time. doesn't matter if you're born into an uber-wealthy family or in strict poverty. Every single person has a finite amount of time in this earth, period. So whatever humans decide to do with their individual life, trying to make a splash or create a footprint on this earth based on their finite resource of life, that's it. They can do whatever they want to do unless they're self-harming or harming the others, right? So I realize it's not my place to judge since I don't know what they went through to get here. So if they don't want to make friends with me or they're not as receptive towards what I want to share or my inquiry or curiosity about their experiences, their life, their vulnerability, or the nuances of their experiences, that's up to them. Because him and I or her and I, we all have a finite amount of time to be here. So I'm making my splash in my own way by doing this with you or through my pivot into the clinical profession or their attempt to trying to streamline everything they have, trying to make it, quote unquote. And it's not my place to judge. Just like with you, with Anwar, with anyone else I encounter, it's not my place to judge because we're all born once and we all die once. And we all have a very finite amount of window to achieve whatever we want to achieve. And that's really, really profound for me because I used to be very judgmental based on my self-perceived competence, my self-perceived lived experiences and my uniqueness. Um, but it's not my place to judge because we're all just humans and we're just trying to make this a playground into whatever we want to turn it into. So I, I just learned to stay in my lane in terms of identify people that share my curiosity, share my growth mindset. And with the people who don't, that's fine. There's 7 billion people in this world. So yeah, it's something I wanted to share uh, that resonated with me based on your story. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think it's a 
really important distinction to make, right? Being able to get clear on what lanes we're trying to run down, move through those paths, those lanes, only attracting people that will also resonate with those same ideas. However, on the opposite side of the coin that I'd like to introduce is just how, in fact, interconnected all of this is, how interconnected all of we are. Um, I think that to me was more of a mental understanding when we first started this podcast, but really to see how life has changed both for ourselves as well as some of the guests we've interviewed in the past two years has really, I guess, made that more of an embodied knowledge or an embodied wisdom of how interconnected we all are. It's still something that I think everyone's continuing to learn, myself especially, but really just seeing how different the life trajectories have gone for ourselves and our guests over the past two years. For example, I think of the, you know, 30 or 40 guests that we've had, I think five of them have started podcasts, most of which have said or credited us to thank you for hosting us. It's inspired this next step and one that feels really aligned for them. So just being able to witness that interconnectedness of one you know, idea from our side around, it would be fun to talk to this person because they seem like an amazing human with good things to say, to having them have a positive experience talking to us, to then go put out their own podcast, talking about their own ideas and how they can best help the world. I think to me that really brought the idea of making a splash, but then having those splashes be ripple effects uh, really came to the front of mind that I guess wasn't really possible in just the reading about or knowing sense, but really had to be more of like a lived realization that I'm so, so super grateful for this platform and for all of the amazing guests that have showed me that, you know, one conversation can change the course or the direction of one's life and hopefully other lives as well. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, that's a great point. And I didn't, I forgot about that. Um, it's like the collectivity of the entire humans and all of our experiences. But more importantly, the idea of generosity comes to my mind, right? And you talked about this in depth before, but I just want to bring this back into this episode. Since we are highlighting our collective takeaway from our two-year journey, I am so, so, so surprised exceptionally by the generosity of strangers and our guests. And of course, it's reciprocal, right? We also are givers. We also like to connect different guests with different avenues, different opportunities, different projects. So it is reciprocal. However, not everyone is willing to be reciprocal. So I think it still highlights the generosity of people. And I'm sure you could talk more about this too. But once again, whether it's through the podcast or outside of the podcast, Anytime that I was being very cynical, working in a policy sector, anyone who out there who works in the policy sector, Godspeed, and I hope you don't get jaded like I did, uh, but I'm sure you could relate, is that you get very cynical. You start to view this world from a lens of darkness, from despair, because you've seen a lot of horrible shit goes down behind the scenes. Anytime those moments strike me, I always, and this has never failed, always, I meet or encounter an opportunity or someone who sort of brings more colors into my dark themed world at the time. And it brings me back into my root of optimism because I am an optimist at heart. And I always tell people that I am optimistic about the outcome, 
but I'm very cynical about the process. And many people resonate to that very well. But still, I want to be optimistic about the process and the outcome. And of course, optimism is not delusional positivity. It's not naivete. It's very different. Uh, but I'm very hopeful because I have seen the incredible strides we have able to make, right? Even with AAPI's incident, when the atrocious act on Asian elders, on Asian women, Atlanta City and Oakland, California, LA, the thing goes on and on. That fucking sucked. And that triggered my traumatic memories. And it was traumatic for me. I was depressed for a while because of that. I've never felt insecurity to my life based on my race before. And of course, African-Americans can relate to this on a deeper level, but I'm not comparing our hardships because everybody has their own hardships and every hardship is valid, period. But the point is that for me, I realized, oh, sometimes it's sad that it requires horrible shit to go down to incite something positive. But the generations after me to come, they will benefit from the newly reformed AAPI initiatives. They are going to. Because of George Floyd and his sacrifice, generations of African-Americans are going to benefit from the atrocious act. That's a fact. And it's very sad. For sure, there are costs in life. And that's not something that's way above my pay grade. I'm not even going to comment on the source of conflict and why these atrocious acts happen. I don't know. But I really try to you know, cling on to my optimism uh, that I'm deeply rooted in and really the generosity of different peoples that we encountered on and off the show have helped anchor my optimism in humanity because without that, I would not have gone my career pivot into the clinical profession. Like if I'm despair about humanity as a whole, why the fuck do I want to help other people? I won't. Uh, I'll just pick a job and trying to, you know, stick to my lane, but I still chose to do that because I didn't lose hope. And I do that the prospect of change is enough for me to give my resources and give my impact and give my skill sets to induce the prospect of change because we just don't know what we don't know. And we, you don't know how a simple action, a simple word, a simple thought that we share on this podcast might have a far-reaching consequences or impact or implications on some listeners. We don't know. They may not, uh, but we have received numerous positive feedback about this show, so I hope they did, right? But once again, I think it never, never hurts to be generous with other people, whether strangers or families or intimate circles, because once again, you don't know how that's going to come back to you and help you out during your most despair moments, because I definitely am a testimony to that, is when I'm feeling lowest of the low, people have extended their help. And of course, I also self-advocated, and they were able to reel me back into the reality. And vice versa, I have done that for numerous people in my circles, and you most certainly have, Aiden, you have helped me through some of my toughest days and vice versa, I hope. So yeah, I just want to highlight the generosity of humans is that unless we tap into that, we're not going to know. But I do believe that the world has more upsides than downsides, even for a cynic that I am have become. And I'm trying to reel myself back into the optimist lens uh, point of view. Yeah, completely. I think it's a really important idea that you just introduced. And I'm hearing a lot about the law of reciprocity, right? Of generally what we give out generally comes back. And the pragmatist or the accountant in me for a while had a lot of trouble like attaching to that idea or really like believing it, I suppose. Um, but over the last few years, like fact of how real the law of reciprocity is. So basically what you give out will generally come back in sometimes different forms, but that same energy generally comes back. One example, just 
had my jaw on the floor of it was when I was in that very frugal time that we just talked about previously, maybe like two weeks after um, I went through that whole scam and I had, you know, when you check out at like a grocery line or something, they say, hey, do you want to donate to whatever the cause is? And I don't know what intuitive feeling I had that day. I had been, you know, saving money left and right, was eating like tuna fish out of the can, really like tried to hone in my expenses. And they said, hey, do you want to donate $2 to this cause? I don't know what came over me, but I hit, yeah, of course, like let's donate $2. It was like the holiday times, I think. And then it was like kind of rare for me to like make that yes rather than no decision. And when I get home, I got a completely unsolicited check in the mail from like a relative I hadn't talked to in a few months of just like, hey, thinking of you around the holiday time. And I was just completely shocked of like, when we give our money out, generally it comes back. And then that same example illustrates the financial aspect of it, right? Which is kind of why I've been uh, so generous in applying for coaching and giving my money out to other people that are starting small businesses and trying to make the world a better place through their coaching. Because I understand that if I'm giving money out to small businesses, when it comes time to create our own small business, hopefully money will come back in that law of reciprocity type sense. Um, And for me, the example of this that's most timely to me now is the concept of love between giving love and receiving love. For a while, I was looking for love like externally, kind of like hoping to attract it or hoping to find love. And then I just applied the law of reciprocity to that of just giving it out way more, like just loving as much as I can with anyone that's in my circle. And then as I'm sitting here recording it at the end of August, I feel more loved than I have been almost ever. And I think that's a big portion by having that change of just giving it out and then it coming back through the law of reciprocity. So I share those two stories just to say that whatever it is that you're looking for, whether it's money, whether it's love, whether it's new knowledge or even just advice or support or whatever that thing is that you feel that you need in your life right now, just to give that out, right? So the more love you give out, the more money you give out, the more advice you give out, generally those things come back. So just that law of reciprocity in whatever form it may take, but really the energy of what you're trying to attract, give that out. And I would say it generally comes back. Yeah, for sure. It's like the avoidance of scarcity mindset, uh, since life isn't a zero-sum game. I do want to clarify that some people who have some resistance towards law of reciprocity or anything that think that oh, this is some woo-woo bullshit. Like, I used to believe that incentive always mattered. I used to believe that motivation, whether it's intrinsic or extrinsic, had to be pure, 100%. Naivete thinking. Because I realized that a lot of things I've done in my life that I'm incredibly proud of, including this podcast, came from an impure motivation center point. Like I said, at first when I came to you, Aiden, it was literally from a self-serving, selfish point of view that, oh, I love to talk. That's what's a way to elevate that platform so more people can hear my voice and talking about this and make this more legit. That was it. That was literally the only reason why I came up with the idea. Not to serve people, not to learn, not to expand my knowledge. I just wanted to talk. And although the starting point wasn't necessarily pure in that aspect, the things that transcended and unfolded after that, I would like to say is we have done a lot of amazing, diligent work to provide maximum value within our capacity of knowledge. 
and exposure for the people. Unpacking, deciphering, synthesizing, brainstorming, content producing, outreach, all these things that we have done, it's no longer about us, right? Of course, we are still the people behind the brands, but I do genuinely believe that a lot of the pillars about this show is now for the greater good, not just for us. We have elevated to a different level. So can one argue that I maybe should have never started this podcast because my intrinsic motivation was impure? And if I asked my younger self this question, my answer would have been, yeah, you probably shouldn't have started this project because your starting point was impure and tainted. And this is just one of many examples that I've done starting from a quote unquote impure point of view, but then it has evolved and unfolded in something greater that's not serving of my interest, but that generally served everyone else. Because when you show up happy, fulfilled, every single person in your environment benefits from your way of showing up. And that's why we think it has to be self, God, and others. But yeah, so that's another thing that I have, my mindset have shifted for a long time. And a lot of times I do think that the reason I share this story is because I know myself included and some people that I know hold this inheritance and internal resistance towards starting something new. Is that, oh, I wanna wait till every single thing is intrinsically motivated and every single thing is pure and idealistic and optimal and then I'll start because the quote unquote I don't want to start things for the wrong reasons there's a lot of validity to that statement but I like to urge people and us to think about is we don't know what you don't know and are you 100% positive that moment will come and if the moment does come what does it look like and if the moment doesn't come are you just not going to start what you wanted to start because you're waiting for this perfectionist intrinsic motivated 100% pure standpoint. Yeah, and in a funny way that reminds me of the first interview we ever did with 2FAM, real estate investor. Uh, The title of that interview was Overcoming Paralysis by Analysis. And he was talking about it in the lens of buying a house and starting a real estate venture. But I think paralysis by analysis can be applied to anyone trying to start something new, right? Trying to analyze what it's going to look like, what the intention behind it is, how it's going to look in the long term, and being paralyzed by that process. You know, I myself have put off trying new things, uh, taking big risks time and time again by trying to overthink it or think through all of the logistical details. So to me, this comes back to that idea of courageous action that we alluded to earlier. And an analogy that I heard on a podcast a few months ago really comes up for me. And it came from a meditation teacher and podcaster named Light Watkins. And he makes the analogy of life is basically a treasure hunt or like a scavenger hunt where you get like one of those treasure map looking things. Each time you look at the clue of like what to do next, it's only one step forward. I think Jacqueline talked about this idea too of like, having a flashlight in a dark path and you can only see one step directly in front of you. And I really resonate with that idea of just like, we don't know what five steps ahead is going to be, but generally we have that gut feeling of what the next step should be or what the next best step is. Uh, And kind of looking at life in that way of, we're not going to know what's a year or two down the road, but we can get a good feeling over what that next clue of the treasure map looks like and taking that step forward. So, you know, with that analogy being said, we're really hoping that 
maybe some perspective could have shifted or you're getting some intuitive feeling of what that next step in your life scavenger hunt looks like and really to take courageous action towards those things because you know reflecting back on these two years of the podcast when Ben initially came to me with the idea of starting on the podcast I was super super terrified as an introvert wasn't super comfortable speaking much less sharing my speaking with listeners around the country I was terrified, but taking that step and kind of sitting in it and taking that next step really made me realize, like, I knew that it was the next step I needed to take. And now thinking back two years on the other side, life has changed in so many positive, positive ways. I'm super, super grateful for it. So really would just encourage people to feel into what that next step is, as scary as it might be, and to take imperfect, courageous action towards those things. Yeah, and like I said, it is about not get paralyzed by overanalyzing, but identify the next step and just doing one step at a time. So with that being said, I think the best way for everyone listening for the next step is check out this episode when it's being released. Um, And obviously, um, we would really, really appreciate if everyone also check out our previous episode, which is our collection and collage of our highlight reels from our two years of podcast journey and venture that have gifted both of us with so much blessings, gratitude, lessons, and most importantly, human connections, and the nuanced experiences behind those. Um, so with that being said, uh, it has been a remarkable journey for both of us, and we are infinitely grateful for all the listeners we were able to share these with and for all the listeners around the world, not just the country, which is another crazy thing that we have listeners from around the world who continue to show us support, who continue to tune in to listen to both of us who are in their late 20s talk about these experiences. And the gratitude is an understatement, as Aidan alluded to earlier. But this is only year two, or the end of year two, and we will be, of course, starting our year three uh, with this episode and beyond. So we pray and we hope that everyone could continue to show our support and share their thoughts with us, and hopefully we can make a positive splash into this finite time that we have on this planet through this uh, project of Discover More, where we try to talk more, discover more about the nuanced human experiences and the life that we all share on this world. With that being said, as always, we truly appreciate everyone for listening, for tuning in, and as always, see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.